0: All right. Welcome to Outdoors. I'm Brian, and I'm excited to have Bryce Stevens with me today. Welcome to the podcast, Bryce. Hi, Brian. Good to see you. Good to talk to you. So Bryce and I, a few years ago, maybe more than a few, um, he, he authored the book, 60 Hikes Within 60 Miles of Seattle. And my family and I went through page by page, dog earing the ones we had done. And eventually I realized, man, we might be able to finish all these. And The last one to complete, which was, remember, Blake Island State Park, um, a little loop on there, and Bryce and I actually got to meet up to complete all of them, all 60, and kayaked out there and hiked the loop and shot a little video. So that was a few years ago, but a beautiful day, great memories, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to have you on the podcast and and to talk about your experience as a guidebook author, uh, trails.com co-founder, and your more recent projects on backcountry um, motorcycling routes and, and such. Yeah. So, uh, let's, let's go back. If you can remember far enough back to the, almost the dawn of the internet, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> when, when was trails.com started? Is it late nineties when, when that was all coming together?
1: Yeah. My best friend in the world, Doug Colbeck and I were mountain biking every weekend at the time we were kind of post college years and and mountain biking all the time. Doug had started a website called fat which, which was all about mountain biking. And we just kept talking as we're grinding up these mountains. You know what, why don't we do something bigger? Why don't we do something that goes beyond mountain biking? Why don't we do something that's not just the Northwest? Let's do something that's national or bigger. And just, it, it just kind of evolved. So yeah, in the late nineties, we started meeting outside of the hours of our regular jobs and, and, uh, finally put a business plan together and decided we were going to go full-time into creating something big. And then Doug kind of surprised me. He took a, a, a loan against his house and bought trails.com the domain for $35,000, which was a lot of money wow. back then and said, yeah, he's basically it showed me that he was all in and, and that we were going to do this thing. So.
0: And, and, and what was the idea at that point? Like that, well, Now we understand kind of how search engines work, that people want a broader database of this that doesn't exist yet. You know, it's pretty trail breaking, really. Um, How did you get that big picture and start to take those little steps to make it happen?
1: Well, it it took a lot of brainstorming, uh, a lot of meetings, just talking through it, just kind of like you you could imagine, you know, the mid-90s, 95 to say 98-ish, when we started talking about this, the internet was very new. There weren't a lot of sites out there. Mountain Zone actually was one of the big ones. I don't know if you remember that. It was all about mountain climbing, and that one actually was in the in the news because of what was going on with uh, with Everest and and uh, all the into thin air chaos that happened mm-hmm. back then. And uh, those guys were in Seattle too, incidentally. And so we actually got to know them and learn from uh, their stories. But uh, we just, yeah, we wanted to, we, we just decided we were going to do something bigger. We wanted to be the best trail source online. That was our goal, biggest and best, most accurate. So we had a lot of factors in that. We didn't want to user generate it because we thought the quality would be low. Uh we we tried to tap into the government. That was very difficult and talked about low quality, um, especially back then. Uh, so we just decided we had to do this ourselves and and uh we the, the final piece of that is we realized we couldn't create the trails ourselves. We obviously can't hike them and write about them ourselves. So we went to the guidebook industry and said that, hey, these authors, all of them, you know, hundreds, thousands of authors that have created guidebooks over the years are the ones that know these places better than anybody. Why don't we take these books and chop them up into individual trails and put them on a, on a website that was our, the, what came out of this brainstorming? And lo and behold, after getting some legal contracts together and calling these these uh, these publishing companies, they were very receptive to it. They were excited to get something online and be digital. And so, uh, you know, m- that was my job was to sell all these people, get them signed, and to get their books in hand, so that we could chop them up. It actually went really well. It was surprisingly easy to get them to to jump on
0: board. And then how did you start building out um, the the database and and all that for for people to start using it and testing it and and, uh, trying it?
1: That's a good question. Uh, So we had to to solve that that problem. Uh, We decided to get college students to help us out. So I went down to the University of Washington here in Seattle and found, I, I put up flyers. We put things on Craigslist. I think at the time, I can't even remember w- what all we used, but sure enough, we got a bunch of kids who were outdoor enthusiasts who understood guidebooks. That was kind of our key criteria. Do you understand trails and do you understand you know, how to decipher the information that's in a guidebook? And, and d- did they understand maps? Because we had to map, we had to get the coordinates for these and we didn't have google at the time to to be able to just e- very easily capture the uh, coordinates online so we had to kind of in, interpolate them get them out of these uh atlases like delorme atlases at the time and so we paid these students on a per trail basis to get the trail information out of the book and into the database and then to get the coordinates so that we could map it on our website We paid them for each of those two things. And and, then the faster ones obviously make more money per hour. But, uh, and we had to fire a few and we had to train a lot more than uh, on some than others. But uh, we had some, a lot of young kids that were just awesome to work with.
0: And how much of it did you have built before you started, um, you know, getting it out to people to actually start using for them commercially?
1: Uh, that's a good question. We focused on hiking and mountain biking to begin with, and we focused on the biggest markets. You know, I don't know the quantity, but we did uh, we did kind of a shotgun effect. So we didn't just concentrate in the northwest or the northeast or California. We decided, hey, we're gonna we're gonna do everything. You know, if we can get a good guidebook that comes through and it's easy to process in our in our department for St. Louis or Kansas City or something in the middle of the country, we would do that too. So we were just really kind of trying to process as many books as we could. And by the time we got the technology to work and the, and the database built and the website functioning the way it was supposed to, we had a pretty good offering. And then we just, we were in crank mode, just cranking more trails, more trails. And then we had to create these things that we called e-trails. E-Trails was a mini guidebook that would be taking the the digital guidebook. Let's say it's my book, 60 Hikes Within 60 Miles of Seattle. That would produce 60 trails on trails.com. We would put the data in the database. We would have a map for it on on the website. So link to like TopoZone for a topographic map. And then we needed them to be able to download a, a PDF file that they could then print and take with them on their hike or bike ride. That's what we called an e-trail, and that was that little excerpt from the digital guidebook.
0: I remember using those. <laughs> that that do was you? the thing for a while, and you know, um, when you're getting even driving directions, right? You would always print them out, <laughs> right? <laughs> so right. Yeah,
1: rather than just typing it into you know some map service that, that you put on your car dash and it just tells you where to go. Yeah,
0: right. Because you wouldn't have service wherever you're going, probably. And yeah, do and-
1: you remember the old uh, Thomas guides? Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. My mom was in real estate. She used Thomas guys. I remember her giving me her old ones that she'd get new ones. And that's how I got around Seattle when I moved over there. Oh, man.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a different skill set, you know, rather than having Siri tell you to turn left or right, you know, being able to, to navigate those things and find it.
1: Yeah, it's funny. We're we're definitely dating ourselves here.
0: Right, right. Well, I, I think it's really interesting because a lot of the the more modern trail apps, like, uh, you know, all trails and um, trail forks, things like that, you know, did did that, some of that content derive from trails.com? Like, cause you ended up, you eventually sold the business and then, then what became of it after that?
1: So, yeah, we sold the business in 2006 to a company called Demand Media. And we were talking to other companies at the time, big, big brand names you would know, like uh, a CNET. That were interested in what we we're doing, Demand Media really understood our business model and saw the the potential to replicate um, our business model into other niches like travel. We'd already started a travel site, we'd already purchased a golf site, we're kind of doing something similar, and they they just liked that we could grow this this uh, business or this segment for them. So they acquired us outright, all the assets, everything, and they brought most of our people on. Uh, well, everybody stayed in Seattle for the most part for about two years. And then there was a period where we had to transition some to Santa Monica and then some of us stayed remote. But uh, yeah, so, you know, they understood, they, they allowed us to keep running it the way it was and growing it. And we did grow it from a revenue standpoint and also the, growing the database. And then uh, Doug and I left the company when our time was up. And we noticed at that point they really s- stopped Kind of caring for trails.com the way uh, it needed to. It was a it was a robust system that needed to be refreshed all the time. Right, every time a new edition of a guidebook comes out, it needed to be updated in the system. And they just kind of set it aside, uh, kind of like a cash machine. It made it made good money, right? It was a subscription service. It was an annuity. You had this revenue coming in. I think they decided to just turn their resources on to other projects that they were working on at the time. And so eventually it, it kind of languished and, and uh, just a couple of years ago, I think that that all trails bought the name and the assets from uh, somebody else who had, had purchased it in between a person mm-hmm. that Doug and I know well uh, and they just shut it off. And so it was very kind of a sad day because all trails who we admired, we, you know, they did, they, they were kind of the trails 2.0, right. They yeah. came in and started doing it the way we probably would have done it later, but yeah, uh, you know, they did a really good job and, and so they wound up just i think bringing in the the database of people more than anything mm-hmm. and then they shut it down
0: yeah it's it's interesting to see you know especially as technology shifts over the years you, you tend to forget about you know some of these legacy systems they, they run their course and then they inspire something else you know and then a lot of times it is sad that they kind of do fall by the wayside you know thinking of, yeah. of when i started filming doing you know trail filming. Gosh, it was one of my kids were really little. It was with a Sony Handycam tape recorder, I, which I, I just found a, a place to actually convert tapes to digital because it was like non-archivable, basically. The technology changes. You can't use it anymore. Um, but that became very hard to digitize that. And then I started using like a flip cam. Remember when flip was out and then you could plug it into the USB and it's high definition and all this. It had yeah. a whole library of assets on there and edits videos that I'd edited like maybe hundred or so. And I think Google bought them and shut them down. And so the whole platform leaves. So I guess one thing I'd caution people about their digital assets is that like Joel Satori, the national geographic um, photographer says their digital is non-archival really with photography. If you wanna keep it, you have to print it. <laughs> if you want it to live in a hundred years, there's a good chance that whatever format you're using now is not gonna be viewable in the future. So, you know, but by what it does is I think it um, it inspires people of what can be done and paves the way for the next thing. So I guess, do you see trails.com is kind of a groundbreaking piece that led the way into how we're how we use all of the apps nowadays?
1: In some ways, uh, you know, Doug and I think that we were the first business to do this this concept of chopping up ebooks at the time ebooks were new and you know it doesn't it doesn't apply to a lot of things you can't chop up a novel for example but you know non fiction sources uh reference sources you can and and that was the idea we had when we started doing that so i don't know maybe we sparked some ideas on, uh, for people on how to create uh, digital products like that uh, You know, when when uh, UGC really started kind of growing around the same time and and then uh, you can remember when Facebook came around right in the mid, uh, you know, 2006 ish or so, they uh, they were changing things. So so we were really starting to get a lot more interaction on the the Internet was changing then where it was becoming more. uh, There was more interaction, more a consensus type uh information gathering and, and building and improving wikis, right? Wiki mm-hmm. wiki sources were the same kind of thing. And so that you know, I think I think that it, there was just a natural evolution. Doug and I, our business was too robust and too far down one path for us to check, to pivot like that. Had we been a new startup, you know, as at the time we sold, we could have done we would have done things differently. And we we uh
0: we think we would have built something like what All Trails has has become, which is a bit more crowdsourcing, sort of getting everybody doing it more than just a yeah. few college students. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and
1: and more GPS based, right? We were more, we didn't have all the points on a line. We right. just had coordinates for trailheads and destinations. So if you're hiking from, you know, if you're hiking out to this lake, this is where you park, and you know, mm-hmm. here's a description of the trail, and here's your destination. Now you go online and you can always find a a, a track for wherever you're going,
0: right? And, and so you ended up writing the sixty hike sixty miles after that, right? So what what spawn, what made you go back to more of a printed format?
1: That's a that's a good question. So w- one of the larger printing companies, publishing companies that we worked with was Menasha Ridge Press. They really understood what we were doing, and their books lent perfectly into our business at the time. They had a bunch of series uh, of books, so like Mountain Bike Trails in I can't remember what the exact name of it was, but it was that was the name of a series where they just found an author in every network and had them plug into the system they had for those guidebooks. Well, yeah. 60 Hikes Within 60 Miles was the same way. They had already done this in... D.C. and Portland and New York. And, you know, you can imagine all the big markets. They called me. uh, My person, uh, actually the person that ran the company at the time, Molly, called me and said, hey, Bryce, do you know an author that would want to take on, you know, a 60 Hikes book in Seattle? I said, I might, actually. (laughs) Uh, And it got my juices flowing. And at the time, I worked with uh, uh, a good friend of mine, Andrew Weber, who was, he was the one kind of creating our trails database for us at the time. And he is, he was an English major from Dartmouth, among other things. He's a math brain and all sorts of things, but he's a great writer. And so the two of us, uh, I, I asked him if he'd want to co, you know, create a book like this. And he said, yeah. So we went out and they wanted us to do an ex- a, a sample. So we went and hiked something created a map, wrote it up in that format, submitted it and they said, hey you guys are in, let's do this. So we we knew we were we knew what we had to do and for the next couple of years we went out and hiked and mapped and and did a lot of writing to create the book. so hmm. yeah,
0: that's, that's awesome. I, I, lo- I love that sort of, you know well even just following in your footsteps, you know doing all these hikes and, and kind of retracing that um, there's just such a sense of adventure. You know, and I don't know what it is about, I was talking with Craig Romano about, you know, uh, printed guidebooks really coming back right now, you know, even with um, all, the, all the digital assets. There's, there's more now than exists ever before with all these apps and things that will get you information, but for, for whatever reason, people still love physical copies of these. And wh- why do you think that is? Why are, why are printed books still so important to people?
1: That's a good question. At the time when, when we created our book, this would have been 2006 or seven, somewhere in there too. Uh, we, we were very much in the book business. I mean, we were, books were still selling heavily. I didn't, I didn't even really think that anybody would, I grew up with guidebooks. And so I didn't really ever think that that would just completely disappear. I love having them on the shelves. I love pulling it out and, and just flipping through a book and getting ideas. Uh, a lot of times, that's just what it is. It's just okay. Where can I go today, or, or you know, over spring break? What you know, with the kids, what can we do? Those kinds of things. It's just idea generating. And I don't. That's a good question. It seems like at this point in time, guidebooks should just completely go away, but they're not. And I don't know if it's an older demographic that's that's still buying them, mm-hmm. or you know, do my people that are my kids' age in their early twenties. Are they buying books? I don't know. How long is this going to go? But I'm glad to see that, that Craig's books are still selling and, and our book is still in print, at least at this point in time. It's, it's great to see it keep going.
0: Hmm. I wonder if part of it is, you know, I, I see, well, especially with online social media, it's very much influencer based or personality based. So people follow certain people to get a certain perspective on things. And I, I think that's, that's something you get in a printed guidebook. You know, if you're going online and, and trying to find a trail, there's almost too much information available, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of vetting or, um, yeah, there's, there's reviews, star ratings, that sort of thing. But it seems like if you are reading an author's book, you kind of know them a little bit or at least get a sense of their style and their taste and, and some of the other insights from a person on all these different trails that you wouldn't get from a crowdsourced platform. So, yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot as I've been working on my new format and trying to combine the best of both worlds where I don't think I need to put, you know, driving directions in a, in my book, <laughs> right? Because you could literally have a, a trailhead code or else say just go to one of these apps, but you're not getting that kind of perspective, um, that, that kind of personal perspective or uh, kind of broader picture that's when it's so dispersed, I think.
1: Right. And when we created trails.com, that's that's part of why we decided to go the book route is because mm. we realized that the authors were already kind of filtering through all of the options uh. in their areas to find what was best. And it didn't mean that they were all epic, right? It didn't right. mean that they were all long or steep. I mean, they, they did a good job of finding the best of all types of hikes or all types of whatever activity. It could be hiking, kayaking, and you know, trails.com, we, we have, I think we had 20 activities by the time we were done. And, and we just realized that the authors are that, like you said, they're the ones who are the
0: experts. They are the ones who will help you filter it down to something that's not overwhelming. So, hmm. so, so when you end up finally selling, it sounds like I, I'm kind of surprised because I, I always thought like a lot of the map generation programs, like the one around here is Onyx Maps, you know, for hunting and other things out of Montana. Um, yeah. And the real asset there, I've, I've been told, is is the the data. You know, it's just this database is incredible. It's got all the, the land use and all that sort of thing. Um, but it sounds like with that one, it was really the the network of people that had all this this curated information to be able to um, to give people the best experiences.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was taking all of these experts and, and combining them into one resource and again it's all it's about the data so we did have a lot of metadata you could search for or filter down on an activity an area difficulty uh, length and and duration time duration all sorts of things like that so yeah it was it was the data that was so important and onyx i i get i've it's funny i've used that and it is very hunting focused and and um so i tend to use gaia uh, mm-hmm. because it it's uh but, it, but Gaia doesn't have the land use, so when you go out, you don't know right. necessarily whether it's private or, or state or DNR or, or, you know, some sort of other department. That's where Onyx, I think, is excelling.
0: Yeah, definitely, because, you know, <laughs> one fence to the next is a completely different story on, on that access, you know, which is something that especially hunters have to pay attention to. Exactly, they go off
1: trail, right? Most hikers and mountain bikers don't leave the trail, so they just hey, if it's an established route, I'm going to follow it. I should be good. But hunters, you know, they, they meander out, and then they they need to know whether they're getting onto Farmer John's property mm-hmm. <laughs> or or uh, you know meandering outside of public property.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is really a fascinating mindset. You know, in the research I've been doing about 1750s Buffalo Jump uh, around here. Um, I, I figured out that the the native people and people of the first nations that came came into the United States and this continent they came here because they were following the animals. So you know the all the traditional paths were were uh well mammoths at that point, but then it eventually became bison trails. So a lot of the trails that even Lewis and Clark were following were bison trails when they're on land. So I thought that's that's pretty fascinating, you know and then then you have the European, Influence, which is no, let's go east, west. You know, where a lot of the main migration routes were just on the north, south, east side of the the Rocky Mountains. So, um, you know, having this whole idea of the animals obviously don't have this idea of like this is that land or this land, <laughs> right?
1: They don't. No, and they typically don't migrate north and south. Right? They tend to go on latitude lines. It's uh, interesting. The book. I don't know if you ever read the book Guns, Germs, and Steel. Hmm. I know their, of it, I
0: haven't read it. I heard it's a, it's very thick, right It's a
1: good book. yeah, it's long. Uh, it, one of the biggest gists in that is is how humans did migrate as we were creating our during the you know as we were, civilization was expanding and going and starting to migrate, which way did they go and, and what things impacted that And most of the time because they knew the flora and fauna in there, in their area they weren't going to move north or south into you know so they knew animals they didn't know how to catch or new uh plants they didn't know whether they were um okay to eat and so yeah that was one of the big gists of how we migrated around the
0: the earth yeah and humans are a critical part of those ecosystems too right because it was completely ecosystem based
1: yeah yeah we were a big part of it yep
0: anyway fascinating so um, since since then, you've moved on. Now you um, operate lots of other, other websites and you've done some other guide work with um, Backcountry Motorcycle Routes. You want to tell us a little bit about those projects?
1: Yeah, so so I'm a founding member and on the board of directors for Backcountry Discovery Routes. This is an organization that makes motorcycle routes for adventure motorcyclists. So think, I I don't know if anybody listening to this will have seen, or maybe you've seen the show Long Way Round with Ewan McGregor and uh, Charlie Borman. Those guys really sparked uh, uh, a big growth in, in motorcycle sales for adventure mm-hmm. motorcycle cycles. right? BMWs, uh, KTM is another brand that's come in. And then of course, all the Japanese and other European brands make them now. But adventure motorcycles are, are basically big motorcycles with knobby tires that can go on dirt roads and paved roads so what we did in 2000 uh, i think it was nine when i was inspired by this there was a route in oregon called the oregon backcountry discovery route and i decided hey i'm going to create one for washington so i did with a friend we went out and scouted it and uh, then we went down to uh, arizona for an overland expo and, and pitched it there and they liked our idea they gave us their flag and said, hey, we'll give you a little bit of money. Why don't you uh, go create this thing and come back and tell us about it the next year? And so we it just snowballed from there. We wound up getting sponsors. We wound up finding a uh, person to film it, Sterling Noreen, who was already making motorcycle films for Helge Peterson all around the world. It just, it just snowballed. And it's been, I think 12 years, we've made 11 films and 11 mm-hmm. routes and it just keeps going we've got a lot of work in the queue i'm still with the organization i'm still making routes and it's uh it's very inspiring it's very fun
0: i think some of the initial ones i i saw were um you know i got some of the physical maps and then then they were all on dvd movies Uh, do you you have them all like on a streaming service or now or or, where can people find those
1: yeah so every route that we create is on our website it's ridebdr.com and uh we create a map through a company called Butler maps and they do such a fine job. You, you just cannot believe the quality of these maps. I mean, you can put them up on your wall. They're that beautiful. Uh, the, the, they are, uh, two-sided and they have a lot of details. So they, you know, if you wanted to go ride or drive or, or even mountain bike, something like this, you, you have everything you need in a map. And then we give away the free, the GPS tracks for free on our website and every route, has all of these components, free tracks, a map, and then a full-length uh, a documentary. Um, we used to sell them on DVD, we don't do that anymore. They're all online. They're in various places. Some are on Vimeo. Some of them on, are on Amazon Prime. And going forward, we are going to put them on YouTube for
0: free. Okay. So people and- can watch the films and get excited about the route, and then go online and get all the all the, the detailed information they need to complete route or sections of it.
1: Yep. With the tracks, the map and, and watching the movie to get a sense of what you're up, up against. You know, that's what we try to do is show you all of the, the challenges and then all, all of the scenery, what you can expect from riding this thing. Put all that together. And you've got all you need to go on on a trip that in, in most cases is about a week, sometimes a little less, sometimes a little bit more. The routes tend to be somewhere between Six or 700 miles to, I think our longest ones are around 1300, with the average being about a thousand. And it, you know, if you can ride or travel 150 miles in a day, it's about a week long trip. But yeah, so our, our newest documentary is the Wyoming Backcountry Discovery Route.
0: Oh, nice.
1: Yeah, it's great. It, it, the movie just came out. We're starting to, to premiere it in theaters and, and dealerships around the country right now. And on May first, we're going to drop the film on YouTube for free, and I think it's about an hour and ten minutes long, something like that. So it's it's a pretty substantial film, uh, and hopefully, people will find it interesting. The shows we've done so far have gone really well.
0: Nice. What what my folks live in Sheridan, Wyoming. What uh, what parts of the state does it go through? Sheridan. That's funny. A guy. Um, so we. So we go through the big
1: horns, but a little bit more on the west side. But for people from Sheridan, it would be very easy to go up to Burgess Junction, which is, you know, up above Dayton. Mm-hmm. That's uh, the, the route crosses right right through there. So that's the very, very upper end of it. It it meanders through the state. I'll have to send you a map and, and you can take a look at it. It's pretty incredible how I mean we so Wyoming, for example, is 275 miles border to border, north to south this route is 900 miles long yeah so you can imagine you know we take you through five different mountain ranges across uh, a couple of different rims these divides they're they're you know where you get some uplift and you've got a cliff on one side a a grand slope on the other side Uh, river valleys I mean desert plains and you know, it's it go. It's it's everything. Sometimes it's it's steep and challenging. Sometimes it's loose and sandy. Other times you're going, you know, breakneck speeds across wide open plains, and it's just it's a lot of fun. Hmm.
0: How do you think most people use the different sort of content? You know, printed printed maps and and digital maps, online content to kind of to plan their trips, and then once they're out actually out, um, out riding. Um, do people tend to do a lot of the research online, like get inspired by the film and then um, get a printed map to travel with? Or are they doing point-to-point directions or just using the maps to check their GPS location and make sure they are where they think they are? I think it's a little bit more of the latter. Yeah, I think they bring the, these, these maps. Is, so as long as you
1: have the GPS tracks in a, a GPS unit, you know, on a motorcycle, it's front and center, right? In, in a car, you can easily stop and, and do more things to, to check where you're at and, and use your phone more. Some people actually guide themselves with their phones, even on their motorcycles, using apps like Gaia or Rever. Rever is another great one. But I think it's I think they just tend to follow the GPS tracks. And then if they have to consult a map because it's the end of the day and they're pooped and they're not going to make their destination, hey, where can I camp? Mm -hmm. you know, where's the nearest hotel or maybe, you know, I'm running low on gas today because we did some side trips and I'm, I'm, you know, I've got to make changes to the itinerary. That's where the map comes in as a reference. I don't think too many people are guiding themselves with that. I think it's the GPS tracks. Maybe they ahead of time. Yes. Maybe they do some research through uh, Google earth is a great one to do that through because you get a little bit of that uh, 3d and, and you can see a lot of photos and other things that have, have been uploaded.
0: Hmm.
1: So you can kind of you kind of travel it virtually before you actually do it, right? Right. But I think a lot of people are just love the fact that we make this a turnkey easy vacation. It's not really a vacation, it's a hell of a, an adventure. But they take our GPS tracks and realize they can just take off and know that we've already done the the research to make sure that it goes through and it's 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 a
0: good ride. Hmm. I hear, you know, read articles and a lot of conversations about, you know, printed maps versus digital apps and that that sort of thing and which one is better. And I, and I think that's probably the wrong way to look at it because um, at least for me, I want to get your perspective too. But um, when I, f- I always have a printed map when I'm especially super far out in the mountains away from civilization um, so that I can get the context because it's really hard on a digital screen to get the lay of the land you know, like you're talking about what, is it a town over here or what ridgeline or what aspect, that sort of thing. Um, so, but then when it comes to well, where the heck am I really, how far have I actually been moving, then you ping on the GPS and you can see exactly where you're at. <laughs> and then you can see that on the larger frame map. So I don't know, for me, it seems like it's a, it's always a combination of those, those two sort of things. Um, and when you're traveling, I've, I've done some virtual mountain bike racing where it is more of these point to point and I turn left here, turn right there, you know, but, but if you're out hiking or just trying to be out on the trails and have a nature experience, it's pretty distracting. So, you know, being, having that starting point, that ending point, and then be able to just check yourself in the middle, I think is a, is a, a way to have that safety, but not have, feel like you're just totally plugged in. So what, what do you think? How do you end up using those resources?
1: I think you're right. The the, the better question is how can I use these things together, Mm -hmm. right? How can I use the digital and how can I use the, uh, the paper, call it a backup or whatever supplemental. But I mean, that's like you said, it's something you should have with you. Yeah. You know, I think for me, I can only speak for what I do, but, but I'm the same way. I'm not going to hold a map out in front of me (laughs) as I'm hiking or biking along. Right. So what you do is every time you stop to eat some more gorp or, you know, Drink and 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 take a rest. That's a great time to get out the map and check out. Yes, how far have we traveled compared to the you know where we're going today? If it's fifteen miles to our destination today, hey, where are we now? You know, and what's what's up ahead? Where does the elevation change? Where does uh, you know? What are the things are we going to encounter? So yeah, I you know it's for me. The other thing is I I've I've been out in the woods where. people's devices have failed, right? Their their phone just isn't connecting or things like that. And they don't know where they are. And then I break out my map and I say, hey, look, you should have one of these. <laughs> and by the way, this is where you are and this is you know how you get back to your car or whatever. But yeah, I think it's so important to just have all of those resources with you. Yeah, it doesn't need any batteries. Doesn't need batteries. You know, it's funny, I, I used to print out topographic maps for uh, like for example, I used to go down to Cedar Mesa in Utah do these epic long canyon trips. I'd be out in a canyon for seven days hmm. and I'd have to carry seven days of, of food and, and all the the maps well in a canyon your your phone really and your GPS doesn't really work right because right. the walls are so steep. and so you bring a paper map I, I created one for this this one trip we did down dark Canyon. I printed all of the topo maps, From zone and they're eight and a half by eleven. Cut them up with scissors, taped them together, and I rolled it out. And I think it was eight feet long. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Like a
0: scroll. It's a long scroll. It was a scroll. Yeah, that's what we did.
1: We rolled it up, this big long scroll. And of course, I had to tear it into pieces so that it was it was usable. (laughs) But uh, you know, I can remember being in the airport when it was still in one piece and we had it rolled out for you know, this eight feet, we were looking at all the different places we were gonna go and planning. That was pretty fun but uh, the only risk you said uh, the batteries don't die but the only risk with those is that we printed them on a an inkjet and if they got wet, <laughs> it would all the ink would would be ruined right and our map would would be uh, ruined. So we actually put them into big ziploc bags just huh. in case we happen to be forging across a creek
0: and got our map wet, which is pretty likely you can anyhow. It is yeah yeah,
1: you're actually doing that quite often.
0: <laughs> well, there, you know, there's something about um, reading, reading maps, and if it's part of the the preparation or afterwards, you know, it, it's just kind of like a mental journal where you can remember that place or that experience or that anticipation of being there, you know, so I, I I don't know, I think there's just something so captivating about those physical printed maps that can kind of transport you to those places or, or open up that imagination. Oh, man, I wonder what that's like in there. Because it tells you right. some of the story, but not all of it, right? Right. Well, think about it. so when we were
1: in these canyons, for example, uh, there were several things we were looking for, and they weren't on the map. A topographic map doesn't solve this for you. So you don't. The map doesn't say, "Hey, get your water here." Right. Right. Yep. In a desert canyon, water is your lifeline. You have to know where this is. Usually, we got those descriptions from guidebooks but we didn't necessarily know exactly where it was. We knew it was kind of near this confluence or kind of near this bend in the canyon. And so we would find those. Well, sure enough, we would bring a, a marker and we would mark it on the paper map mm-hmm. so that if we ever did go back, we knew where the reliable source of water was. The other things we did, we were looking for good camp spots because it's you can't just camp anywhere. It's It's hard to find a flat spot near water that actually works as a camp. So we would mark those. And then the other things we were looking for were ruins and and ancient art panels. And so when we found things, sometimes it would just be a, a petroglyph on a rock that we actually stumbled across because we were down climbing some shelf. And, you know, we, uh, there were times where we were wondering if anybody had ever seen something, like, seen yeah, it before, wow. because we were in such a remote place. And sure enough, we'd make a note on the... Uh, on the map and i've saved those maps i don't know if my kids will ever want to go explore these canyons but i've got a treasure map for them when they are ready to go do that
0: that's amazing almost like a a family journal family adventure journal
1: (laughs) yeah one of my sons is really into into climbing and uh and mountaineering and canyons and all this stuff both my boys have taken into the canyons but i think that my older son is is probably going to venture back down there to do some of those and maybe he'll (laughs) take my maps
0: (laughs) So Bryce, what do you, what do you got coming up? What, what adventures, what are you most excited about in this next uh, coming season and year? So
1: this summer, this is interesting. So I own a website called California beaches.com. And I, so Doug, my business partner, we started this new company after we sold trails. And so we're still working together on this and California beaches has really grown into a, a really wonderful site. That's, that's, thriving, doing great. And we try to support that as much as possible, but we've decided to venture out into other States. So we are going to do Hawaii, Oregon, and Washington beaches. And we have domains for each of those HawaiiBeaches.com and OR beaches and WA beaches. Those are our websites that are forthcoming. Well, we can't, you know, it's, it's, we have to go out and see these in person. And so my wife and I were just in on the big island of Hawaii for three weeks recently. You're not going to believe this. I, and it sounds like torture, but I took her. Well, I visited 100, over 100 beaches on that trip. <laughs> I didn't take her to, to all of them because I had a wow. couple of friends on the trip that yeah. let yeah. her off the hook a little bit. But uh, So we will have to do the same thing with the other islands. Uh, we're going to be traveling the the Oregon coast this summer, the Washington coast. We have a lot of work to do. And this isn't all gonna happen this summer, but but that's the biggest endeavor I have ahead of me. And and every beach I visit creates a lot of work on the back ends, as you can imagine with the
0: photos and the, mm-hmm. and the descriptions and the metadata, it's just, it's kind of daunting, but it's fun work. It's, you know, it's funny, I have, I have the same, well, maybe not to your level of obsession with it, but you know, our first trip to the big island, we were there, what, six days and went to 12 beaches. You know, because I don't know, I, I think maybe it's a certain sort of wanderlust that just is inquenchable, you know, just be, being, maybe it's just curious people, you know, what, what is around that bend, what is over there, and what does this map actually look like in person, I, I guess that's something for me and other folks of Kindred Spirit, that's just something you can, you can never get enough of, you know, it's, it's that, that curiosity, that exploration.
1: You're, you're preaching to the choir here, yeah. <laughs> and then
0: exactly. the documentation too, I think part of it is yeah. like, what what did you see? What what sort of things can you share with, with everyone? That's the key, right? You and I and, and many
1: other people are, are curious folks, we're adventurers, we're always seeking that next discovery, right? Around the bend, could be anywhere, it could be in the mountains, it could be along the coast, it could be underwater. We are those people, but you and I like to take that next step and share it. And that's where the satisfaction of having a website like California beaches, where we've been to almost every single beach mm-hmm. on in that state, that's where it's, it's satisfying. And that's where backcountry discovery routes is satisfying. I create these routes. I could just create them for, for me and my buddies. But I like the fact that we have this nonprofit organization that is so well supported with such, so, such great resources that it's easy to share with a lot of people. Same thing with a guidebook, right? A guidebook is the same. I mean, everything, all these things that I do and you do are meant to discover and then share. Like, hey, look at this thing I found.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: look at this place that you're not going to believe unless you see it in person. Go there. Here's how to do it.
0: Yeah. And and for me, part of that too is, is the stewardship of the lands, especially public lands, you know, hoping at some point to have enough of a voice with with um being able to help preserve these places for other other generations um because we can't take them for granted you know
1: absolutely yeah and a big part of our nonprofit for example is is uh a campaign we call ride respectfully and uh it's i mean it's it's a, there's a lot to it it's obviously riding so that you're not an idiot and being dangerous or okay. you know being obnoxious uh but it's also the leave no trace stuff don't leave the the road and just go wherever you want to. If you do happen to disperse camp in an area where that's allowed, don't leave any trash. And we've had no problem. Our our demographic that does this really, there's they're already stewards of the land. It's amazing when we talk to them. They really, really get this and want to support us in in that way. But yeah, it's a big part of it. We can't we can't just trample it and we can't just all go out there and do what we want to do. We have to do
0: it smartly and wisely. All right. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. Is there anything you want to add at this point? Oh. I mean, I, I guess my final question is, so with all these projects you have going on, um, are, are you ever going to retire? Or is this Bryce Stevens, like, until the end of time?
1: That's a good question. I, uh, With the backcountry discovery routes, I'm I'm a little bit in a burnout state. And so I am going to hand my job as the, the route uh, creator, director, Team leader, whatever you want to call it, to another person in my organization. Uh, he's a great person to take it over. I'm happy to work. With, I'll probably not leave. I'm still on the board. I will probably uh, be a part of his team. Kind of swap swap positions where, because he's on my trail team, um, I'll be on his and, and help him through that. So I don't think that's going to end the beaches thing. Boy, I've got a long runway there. I think I got a lot of work ahead of me, and I just I really, really enjoy that. Um, it's a lot of fun. I don't know. I don't, that's a good question. I, I, so I, I often t- t- times tell my wife, I want to just kind of chill. I've got a 10 acre property now with a two mile long trail. I'm actually building in hmm. some new mountain bike um, things. And oh, i nice. actually, I've uh, built a couple of hiking trails in the area here around my house up in the Hills. And I, so I'm always doing something like that. I, I just don't know. I have to kind of corral myself so that i I don't, you know, go off into more tangents because it's just
0: overwhelming, but uh, <laughs> Overwhelmed by tangents. Yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah, I bet, I bet
1: you can. Yeah. No other thing. The only other thing I want to say is good to see your your smiling face. I, I miss getting together with you and going on little adventures mm-hmm. and and all the adventures we probably could have done uh, after you left for Montana. And also you were an inspiration for me when you took off to Montana uh, you know, my wife and I took off to Eastern Washington soon after that, realizing that, Hey, you know, getting, getting away from the big city is, is, uh, probably a good thing for the family.
0: Yeah. Well, um, I, I'm still going to start traveling again, so we'll definitely have to get, 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 together and do some more Washington adventures. That'd be great. You got to let me know when you're here and, and hopefully I'll have some good, good things to go explore with you. Awesome. So Bryce, where can people go to learn, learn more about your projects?
1: Uh, so the, the biggest one is BDR is the biggest one right now. So BDR.com is, is the biggest one. Uh, you can support uh, my <laughs> paying the bills by visiting californiabeaches.com, topozone.com, mountainzone.com. These are all sites that uh, that we own. Hawaiibeaches.com and the others will be coming soon. It, it could be a while. It, it, I think we'll get something out this summer, but uh, probably 2023 is when it really gonna be. Uh, be thriving. Those are the, those are the biggest things that we have going.
0: Awesome. Well, we'll we'll definitely put the the links down below that people can click on um, to to get more information. But, Bryce, great seeing you. Thanks for being on the podcast. And um, until next time, happy trails.
1: Happy trails to you too. Thank you.